After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome, everybody. It's Mind Rolling. I'm back, and I'm back with a very old friend, someone we haven't talked to in quite some time. And uh, you've listened to a podcast that we did, Lama Tsultrum Alioni. Lama, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So great to hang out with you again, (laughs) really is. I am blessed to to have you and so many of our friends that we've known for all these decades that we met in India all yeah. that time ago. It's pretty pretty graceful. So uh, we were just uh, chatting before uh, we got on live here, and uh, and I was mentioning that I just came back from a retreat with Ram Das Krishnas, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Trudy Goodman, a whole bunch of us. And, um, and I haven't told you this, Lama, but... Of course, since November 9th, was it? Um, it's like, where were you? It's like, you know, when Kennedy was shot. You remember where you were? Uh, yeah. When, yeah. when the uh, Twin Towers oh, fell, yeah. you remember where you were? So yeah. Yeah, where were you when that cataclysm happened? Yeah, that was interesting. I was actually hosting an election party <laughs> <laughs> at our at our house with all the people from Taramandala, all the residents of Taramandala. Uh, I was wearing white, you know, ready to celebrate and, you know, had been, <laughs> had been you know, uh, watching the polls and so on for months. And, and um, so the first thing that happened to me was uh, when I, we're also listening to NPR um, and I the, just the very first thing that came on, this was pretty early in the results, but Trump was ahead uh, in the um, Electoral College. Yeah. And it looked like by quite a bit. And I was I thought, well, you know, New York hasn't come in and, you know, so on. And then um, and then that kept going. And it was the most sinking feeling in fact i'm still sinking actually (laughs) (laughs) every new cabinet member i go a little deeper yeah Yeah, it's it's really like it i think we're all a bit in future shock Mm -hmm. that you know didn't really happen did it like we're gonna wake up from this and it'll be just like a weird movie um but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. No. 
Um, so, just yeah. imagine there was close to 400 people at this retreat at, at this wonderful resort in Maui. Everybody with high expectations of getting into a real beautiful heart space. and But there was an underlying uh, chaotic yeah. fear and polarization. Everything that uh, at every retreat, there isn't one that goes by that we don't talk about how do we transform our us and themness on on a day-to-day <laughs> relative basis and then this thing came along and and the gigantic yeah. prospect of of it and yeah. and I mentioned to you the the name the theme rather of the retreat finding the beloved touching the <laughs> compassionate heart <laughs> so ramdas was of course yeah. very very intent on on having this all come up and and really discussing it <laughs> And uh, and finding ways to how do we d- deal with this day to day pain? I mean, you're you're mm-hmm. you're talking about. I mean, I know you're somebody who is uh, very active. You know, there there may be people out there who believe, wow, a llama is sitting in the cave and <laughs> meditating, and uh, you know, this is Maya, this is illusion, but this is not you. I know you. And so maybe yeah. talk a little bit about using the tools that, that you've had for, for uh, all <laughs> this and how, how it's working out for you. Yeah, well, I am from a family. Uh, my father was a journalist and um, a newspaper publisher. And so I really, the news, you know, I think it's irresponsible. Uh, that's how I was raised, not to know what's happening. So um, I make an effort to know what's happening. Mm. Uh, right after the election, we launched a campaign um, of the eighth Tara. There's 21 Taras. And uh, <laughs> some are wrathful and some are peaceful and some are joyful. And they they each have different capacities. And so the eighth Tara is wrathful, and uh, she um, she works with lawsuits and conflict and uh, all kinds of things like that. And it was when Standing Rock was really um, big. I mean, I know it still is, but it's it's uh, it's in a better place now. So we launched this uh, working with Tara to uh, to work with the situation. And and um, we did an internet campaign on our uh, Lama Sultramaliani Facebook page and Tara Mandala Facebook pages. And a lot of people got involved from all over the world and were doing mantras to just, you know, try to see the best possible outcomes and, and remove obstacles. And uh, so that was really helpful to me to have that practice as a place to take it because she's wrathful. And and so, you know, the the anger that 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 came up for me and the the um, feeling of powerlessness in the face of of what happened could be transformed uh, into wrathful compassion. And so what does that mean? <laughs> wrathful yeah. compassion. Yeah. Um, 
it's energy. You know, the wrathful energy is fast-moving energy. So another way to look at it is it's, um, it's anger without hatred. So if we think of Kali or something like that, uh, Kali is, you know, it's a fast-moving, intense energy. Um, and, and so Taras like that, the wrathful Taras, are very powerful. And so it's taking, it transforms anger into fast-moving compassion. And, uh, and I think that's important that we uh, don't limit ourselves to, like, compassion is always smiling and everything's fine. And, you know, the Dalai Lama is also not always like that. We have this image of, of His Holiness as, you know, always smiling. But I've been with him when he's gotten wrathful. And um, and 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 slammed his hand on the table, you know, and it was kind of like, whoa, the Dalai Lama. <laughs> you know? And but it was it was about something that was really. Um, he felt strongly about it, and and he had a wrathful manifestation in in uh, the face of it, and so that's something in the Tibetan tradition that the deities, which are really like archetypes. Are, have different aspects. And I think that's important also for us to, how do we own anger? You know, is it is it just a forbidden? Or can we use it creatively? Um, and I think a lot of the protests that happen um, or that energy to even go to a protest or whatever, it comes often out of anger, you know, that you're just fed up. And so that it's a motivator, it's energy. And um, it's like a, a mother lioness, you know, or any mother animal or human mother. Um, somebody attacks her, her young and she gets wrathful. She manifests. Sometimes she's not even really going to do anything, but she'll manifest that aspect. So that, that's one one way I've been working with that, uh, and it's a, it's a powerful practice. Uh, maybe I'll I'll put it up again on the Tara Mandala Facebook page for people that might have missed it that would want to know the mantra and see what that Tara looks like. Yeah, and we will definitely in, include it in on the uh, the Be Here Now Network Mind Rolling page so people can link to it. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. Thank that. you. Uh, any. Uh, this is yeah. all. We all need all of this and and <laughs> and whatever and a, we can get. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, the other thing that um, about that hmm. uh, subject that. Um, I'm reminded of is when the Chinese invaded Tibet. Uh, the Tibetans, um, of course, most of them realized what was happening and that they were not going to win this battle. And uh, yet they continued to to do good, to do their dharma. Uh, it was a story of a lama named Changchuk Dorje, great Dzogchen lama. And as it, he was in calm, and, and they came into calm first. And uh, so he was building stupas. And people said, what's the point of building stupas? They're tearing down all the stupas. And he said, the point is building it. 
And if it gets torn down, it gets torn down. But just because it's going to be destroyed doesn't mean we don't keep trying. And so that's that's another way that I've been looking at it. We have to just keep trying. We have to keep going with our ecological initiatives and um, feminist initiatives and anti-racist initiatives and so on in the face of a, a, a big wave of something that is opposing that. And I don't know if we can trust that good will triumph over evil. You know, it, you know, from a Buddhist point of view, that's not guaranteed. It's, you know, it's samsara, so anything can happen. But for us, we have to keep our motivation as bodhicitta uh, to do everything we do and think everything we think for the benefit of all beings. And so even that upset that we might feel or the anger, it's for the benefit of all beings. You know, it's it, it needs to have that motivation. And also, you know, when, when we speak of wrathful, there isn't attachment. Like, so you're not getting all like, <laughs> you know, although it's hard not to. I mean, and, you know, for me now, just watching Aleppo and, um, and 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 what's happening there um it's very hard to witness these things and at the same time we have to witness them that's our duty bearing witness is really part of mindfulness mm. and not to turn away because there certainly can be a tendency right now to just like <laughs> i just can't take it you know uh to turn away but mm. That sort of fearless bearing witness, that that's what Tara does, that's what Avalokiteshvara does, that's what the Dalai Lama does. And 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 Tara is smiling, you know. And um, so you can be both uh, empathetic and concerned and bearing witness, and at the same time... Um, smiling so to keep your inner peace and your inner joy and at the same not not the same time not you know turn away mm-hmm. and empathy is is really important so yeah it's it's definitely like it's shocking times mm-hmm. and thank you for talking about it because it is important. It, it it's so on our minds, and yeah. um, with something like what you do, there could be a tendency to just let's just go into bhakti or bliss and emptiness or something. And yeah. and um, yeah, we we can't do that. Yeah, no, not at all. And and uh, as I said at this retreat, that was so much, of course, on everybody's minds. Um, and and how we got into it actually, particularly with Ramdas, because he's talked a lot about social action over his many years yeah. in in that realm. Um, and we talked about anger, and of course he talks about it. If your heart is full of anger, whatever you're trying to, uh, whatever goal you have, you will, it will not happen if you go into it with that kind of divided heart Mm -hmm. and and then you know and you were just talking about how anger is certainly a motivator that energy just that energy gets you out there Mm -hmm. to to take action Mm -hmm. uh, on any level Mm -hmm. 
and then I I notice in myself because I it, this is not uh, big news to people who listen to the podcast. I certainly have a problem with anger, uh, and it's 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 one of the, the I mean many people do, and it's not a unique thing. But I find uh, in this particular situation that um, that energy pulls in such deep-seated stuff from my past around things that um, I've been hurt by or whatever it is from my childhood, past like God knows, that I'm taking all of it and in this particular instance, I'm throwing it into uh, my anger around what, what happened in this political <laughs> process. And and that's mm-hmm. a difficult thing, and and that's uh, you know I'd like you to talk about how to work with that uh, that uh, when when and I think everybody does this when when that energy comes up it's pulling it all links to all the other ones all the other anger yep triggers yep yep <clears throat> yeah yeah it's it kind of goes into the anger department and <laughs> meets all the other yes anger demons. Yeah, well, I think on a personal level, there there's a way to deal with it in, in the sense of um, feeding your demons is really mm-hmm. what I would recommend. Um, and also this idea, you know, right now I'm working on this book called Meeting the Mandala. Mm-hmm. So the mandala, the mandala is very present in, in me. And uh, the, the Vajra family, which is in the East, is anger. That's what um, that's what I call the encumbered pattern of anger. And normally, normally these are called uh, the poisons. In Sanskrit, it's kleshas. Mm. In Tibetan, yumong. Uh, but the interesting thing is that in the mandala, the, the kind of the our worst thing is also our best thing. Mm. So if you have a lot of anger you have a tremendous potential of that energy becoming mirror-like wisdom. So when the when the struggle is removed from the anger, then it becomes mirror-like wisdom. So it's the same energy. It's not like you've got to get rid of anger and then cultivate something else. It's that the that energy of anger itself, when the struggle, meaning the dualistic fixation, that occurs in anger of me versus whoever I'm mad at or whatever I'm mad at. Uh, when that's removed, it's just energy. And that energy has a tremendous amount of clarity. We can be so clear about other people's faults and you know what's wrong and so on. So that is, uh, to me, that's a, a powerful idea that... You know, and it's the same with passion. If you're really passionate and desirous, you know, it, it, it from the view of the mandala, it, that's not a problem. That's energy. And and that energy can be then transformed into the wisdom. Uh, in that case, it would be the wisdom of discernment. So all the uh, five basic emotions that are in the mandala uh, are worked with through light and through sound. And visualization when you're working with a traditional mandala and mantra uh, to to move that energy from the fixated, painful struggle of anger 
into really like, what is that? What is the energy of anger? Actually, what's that like when you feel it? And, and it has a tremendous amount of clarity. So mirror like wisdom is, is very um, precise. So I imagine you're also very precise mm. in your work in in you know how you do things in your house and so on so that uh quality also like uh science and things like that like steve jobs is a perfect example of a vajra person mm. you know he had this really problematic anger but he had this amazing precision and and intellect you know capability so that you know, that's something that I would suggest is is working with the mandala um, and with Vajra family particularly to transform anger into wisdom, hmm. mirror-like wisdom. Not nothing to transform the duality though that we get caught in the the complete polarization. Because as soon as you get yeah. into that energy, you're lost. And how to uh, <laughs> how to just make that leap is very, very difficult. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's why you have to kind of do some preemptive strikes, <laughs> meaning work with it when it's not really up uh, so that you begin to become aware of it and, and transform it. Uh, Nip it in that. the bud, so to speak. Be able to well, awareness. even before that, like, like, say you're working with anger and feeding your demons when you're not angry, mm. but you re you recall a situation in which you were, uh, or you work with the seed syllables connected to the Vajra family, um, and the and the color and the light and so on, uh, when you're not when it's not like sort of dramatically up, mm. and then. And then you have a better chance. That's why we call it practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you have a better chance when it actually does yeah. erupt to yeah. to remember to work with it and to not just like go down that road, you know, yeah. that's so Happily. familiar. Happily. <laughs> yeah. And with lots of self-righteousness. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the anger is always self-righteous. Yeah. Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, this is all available in Sultram's Lama Sultram's book, Feeding Your Demons, uh, which is a fantastic book with, uh, uh, like I say, everybody's got all of these issues in one way or another, one more strongly than another. So I highly recommend you uh, pick that book up for sure. Um, so here's another thing that I found that I wanted to, I wanted you to share with everybody. Uh, and as uh it's uh, from uh, an article that you wrote. I'm not quite sure if it was just an article or if it's part of something else, uh, a teaching. One ground, two paths, two results. And now, uh, when I read it, uh, there is some, shall we say, quote-unquote, arcane material in it related to Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, so before we got on, I said to Lama, uh, it'd be great if you kind of turned it inside out a little bit so we could get a grasp. But uh, but there's some tremendous stuff in here uh, about uh, the reality of our ground reality, uh, 
truth, whatever you want to call it. There's so many different words that you can call it. Uh, luminous light, of course, I like that. And that's when it starts to get it. People go luminous. I'm not quite sure what luminous is and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then describing the, uh, the second path, which is straying into non-recognition, which you'll, mm-hmm. you'll explain a little bit. Can you, can you sort of give us a, a picture? Because I think it's really, um, yeah. it's, it's something great to, as, a, as a real metaphor for, for our, our lives, especially people mm-hmm. who have jumped into the spiritual path. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just writing about that today for the Meeting, your Manda, meeting the Mandala book. Oh, great. So, the idea is that there's something called the ground of being, uh, or just the ground, we call it. And so, the ground of being is pure potentiality. It is awake potentiality. It's completely awake. So this is our ground. This is what we come from. We could say this is our mother. So we have, we on some level are already awake. We are already enlightened. We already know our true nature. We are it. It's not that we know it, we are it. And yet we've forgotten it or it's become obscured. Otherwise, we'd all be enlightened, and there wouldn't be any problems. So uh, this, this pure potential rises forth or radiates, or you could say even plays, and as it radiates, what it radiates is, is luminosity or phenomena so everything around us if you look around you know you're looking at i'm looking at walls and windows and so on everything around me is actually a manifestation of or the play of the ground of being and it is actually light and so am i and we know this scientifically actually it is that's what it is um, however, what happens when the ground uh, radiates, which is it's it, it's kind of once upon a time, but it's also moment by moment this is happening. So as it as as it um, plays or it, as it expresses itself, that that's a, I think a good way. To, as this ground, which is empty and luminous and pure potential, but no form. As it expresses itself, form takes place. And we have color, we have the elements, we have the universe. And so there's the two paths are one is to recognize that that manifestation or those appearances are inseparable from the ground, not separate from it. Or that's path number one. Or we fail to recognize that. When we fail to recognize that, we see all this as other, as not me. And and as soon as we have that, what we call in Buddhism, dualistic fixation, we actually fixate on that, on that separation, 
there's a feeling of anxiety that arises in us. That that anxiety wants to resolve itself, like anxiety and fear always does. We want to we want to get over it. But what happens in the second path is the way we try to get over it is to try to control it, mm. to try to control our world. And we do that through passion, aggression, and ignorance. And so passion would be try to seduce it, like get, you know, get it closer so it enhances the sense of I, the sense of self. Because when that split happens, that this I and others created, and I wants to be safe. I wants to protect itself and enhance itself, get bigger, get better, get more famous, more have more stuff, have more money, have more beauty, have a better whatever. And um, Mr. Trump, and so come to mind then. <laughs> yeah, we could put our name on everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So everything becomes we want we want more of of that, and uh, and then that enhances the sense of self. Or we are threatened by by this other that's out there and it seems like it wants to harm us or destroy us or somehow make us less or do something negative to us. And so then we develop aggression to deal with that. Or the third option is we get just get really confused and kind of befuddled. Uh, there's a there's a word that actually it's it, it's kind of a big word, but it's really a good word. It's it's obfuscation. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't even know what it meant for a long time. But once I looked it up, I was like, yeah, that's it. it it's it's a feeling of obscuredness. Uh, and, and it's almost like you get veils over you. And so it's like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> or I can't deal with this. I'm getting depressed. And so th- those three methods become strategies to deal with this basic split from the ground. And so when we practice meditation, what we're doing is we're turning that awareness or that consciousness or our mind that's been going out and grasping, developing all these strategies and then creating all this karma with everybody else because everyone else is in the same fear and trying to establish themselves. And we get all these really complicated plots going on called families and friends and, you know, businesses and so on. And so in meditation, we stop. That's the first thing. We stop. Physically, stop. You know, you're when you're meditating, you're not on your phone. You're not talking. You're not on your computer. You're not driving or whatever. So there's a physical stop. And then there's the mind that turns back to look at itself. This turning, and and I think this this gesture. I don't know if you can see this gesture, but yeah. you know, if we think we've been going out like this, out, 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 and then that turns back. And so this is the this is the energy of the mind turning back on itself. If it can really turn back, it can reunite with a ground being. 
so that, so that split isn't there. And when that happens, the experience of it is vastness, vastness, luminosity, and emptiness. And so that emptiness can also create fear again, you know, the, the non-existence, that I don't exist. But in any case, so that's the idea of one ground, two pass, two results, is there's the one ground, which is the ground of being, the two paths is either recognition or non-recognition of the inseparability from the ground of being. And the result is either liberation to reuniting with the ground or going out and going out and going out, which is what we've been doing for lifetimes. It's not just this life. And so even though we're on that other path, we can always go back mm. because it's here. It's not somewhere else. It's it's here right now. Yeah. That's uh, boy. We this all just references what we're going through right now too. I mean, it's an everyday thing, as you said. This is lifetimes. This particular incident that's going on right now that has put such a collective fear and polarization in us and them, in into all of us uh, to a certain degree. Um, this certainly um, goes a long way to. Uh, defining what is possible and what is happening. Uh, I want to say one thing, because people, I think, will, when they hear uh, emptiness, there's a, mm -hmm. the, the people recoil, that empty, there's nothing. So it's just all bullshit, nihilistic, nothing? No. Empty, <laughs> so I always like to share with people, empty of, that you can really get empty of self-interest. Let's, you know, let's mm -hmm. start there as some basic understanding of what emptiness is, because my biggest example that I use all the time uh, is one day, and again, people out there, you've heard this, but you can hear it again. Uh, <laughs> there's you know, no end to hearing this particular story of Ramdas, who he was just, uh, actually was with Roshi Joan Halifax, and they were talking uh, about transition, death and dying. And somebody asked, "What? What's your? What was your experience of Neem Karoli Baba?" And he just went back into being in that moment, and all he could say was, "He he's just empty. He's just empty." And and it was equated with complete love. It was. Empty of mm -hmm. everything but that. So people out there, empty is full. It's not nihilistic. So I just want to, I like mm -hmm. to always point that out uh, to people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and another way to talk about emptiness is that things are empty of what they think, what we think they are. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we think, um, like now I'm looking at my computer screen and I'm thinking it's a computer screen, but... If I really look at what is it, it's metal and it's electronics and so on. And so there isn't actually anything called a computer. I mean, we call it that, but it doesn't have a discrete, it's not a discrete separate entity. It's, it's, it's all these factors that came together and we gave yeah. it a name. Aggregates, yeah. Yeah, so that's, a, that's another way to think about emptiness. And the other thing about emptiness which I think is you touched on is that 
when you actually experience emptiness, the way that experience expresses itself is as compassion. Mm. And so if we're looking then at Maharaji, so he's in, an, in the experience of emptiness, but how, that, how he expresses himself or how that expresses itself yeah. is as compassion. Mm. Yeah, perfectly said. So there's a little thing also in what I read uh, from One Ground, Two Paths, Two Results. One thing that happens at these retreats as well Sometimes will you know the people that were there back in the day with Neem Karoli Baba with Maharaji, you know they'll tell stories and so on, and some of them are miraculous in one way or another, and mm-hmm. and some people who are there either they there's a few different kinds of reactions. Some of them will be they'll get it just like personally I got it when Ramdas said that I totally was there with him and I there was complete trust it was beyond my thinking mind uh, so some people get that other people oh god you lucky dog you got that and we you know so there's a little of that going on and then other people just cannot sink into the possibility or reality of quote unquote miracles and in this uh, article I don't know if you remember but um you talk about a realized being can manipulate, quote-unquote, material objects. Activities of one who has realized the true nature of reality. And, uh, and you talk about the, that it's scientifically, uh, uh, it's scientific knowledge today of, of how that mm-hmm. is a reality for people who have realized themselves to, to this degree. And, and, of course, you were with... You were with uh, Karmapa sixteen, mm. and um, and I happened to have uh, had darshan of him, met him as well, and mm. uh, we talked. We did mention this in the last uh, podcast that we did, but uh, to me, there was when I got close to him, whatever that thing is, and it's a thing, was no different <laughs> than that thing in the Maharaji thing. The, those two yeah. puppets or whatever of of whatever they were exactly the same and so so i know you you are uh, we are one with that experience for sure but just just for because people question the reality of that kind of a thing and you've experienced it yourself many many times Mm -hmm. just uh, maybe give people a little bit more of the detail of what you were saying in the article around the the possibilities that exist when a being has no limitation Yeah, we call it magic, but uh, that's because we don't actually understand how things work. And so the reason that these beings can do things that we would call magic or have what we call siddhis, uh, which means powers, is because they know reality. So I talked before about illusion and being you know, when we understand emptiness, we understand the the emptiness of illusion. And so when you really see how the way we see now is illusion, and then you see how things actually are, then of course you can manipulate them because you're seeing them as they are. Yeah. So if somebody, I mean, I, I, I'll give an example of a, a, a miracle that I witnessed. Um, there was a llama here uh, named Adsum. 
Adzum Pelo Rinpoche, a great lama from Tibet. And he, um, I had heard he could imprint his hand in stone. And um, I'd seen photographs of like footprints and handprints. And I'd also seen where he put just a, a blunt stick into a solid rock wall, like a cliff. So I thought, oh, it would be great to have one of these at Taramandala because it would make people have faith. You know, like mm. it would really like when people see miracles, they have faith. And that's yeah. really the only reason to perform miracles. And uh, so I I asked him and I, I gave him um, a little stone, you know, um, little square stone and it had this like kind of frame on it like naturally a different color of stone so I gave it to him his sister actually and then a few days passed and I kind of forgot about it and thought he had forgotten about it and we went down into the secret meadow to do a certain practice and came back and on the way back I thought I, I really should have given him a bigger stone because now he could only like put his thumb or his finger in it and if I gave him a bigger stone he could have done a whole handprint yeah. and so yeah. I actually stopped by the side of the road and I got a bigger stone <laughs> and uh, it was really perfect it was like a you know again it's kind of like a frame so I got back there and then I I said to his sister Anila, I have a, I got a bigger stone. And she said, no, it's not good. You already gave the other one. It's not good to change it now. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> and then we were having lunch and he kind of went into this altered state. He was actually in an altered state when I got back that day. And when he goes in these altered states, he, he, he starts singing poetry in Tibetan it's all rhyming and it's all Dzogchen. <laughs> Just like uh, Dzogchen is the most profound level of teachings in the Tibetan tradition and it's about the nature of mind. So he's singing and he's really tall. He's about maybe 6'2 mm. and he's big. He once said to me, I'm kind of like a thermos, you know, this big Chinese thermos. <laughs> you know? really big and he was kind of rolling back and forth and and singing and we were having lunch and you know he was kind of not really eating because he was doing this and and she was like dying to record it because it was so incredible but he doesn't allow any recording so so anyway um, at the end of lunch uh, he said it would be good to go and get people who have faith and so I ran to our kitchen, which at that time was an outdoor kitchen. And I was like, who has faith? <laughs> Try to guess, like, who has faith? <laughs> and I said, come, come. Um, and so yeah, maybe there were like 20 people or something came. At that time, we had no building, so it was outside. He was sitting in front of the tent. The, the dishes were still on the table from lunch. But he had the, the stone that I'd given him in his hands. And so... Uh, he said, oh, it would be good if people did prostrations. And so people started to do prostrations. And then and then at a certain point, he, ju he just kind of had in his hand, he kind of went like this, and, his lips, and then he went, Hut! and he pressed his thumb into it. And, uh, and, and then he kind of looked at it. 
and uh, and then uh, he invited me to look at it, and in fact, his thumb had gone into the stone. It looked like looked like if you had a, a piece of butter and you pressed your thumb into it, and you'd you'd see the whirl <laughs> in the butter. Mm. You see the whirl in in the stone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then other people came to see it, and and then he said. <laughs> And then he said, oh, if Ani Sultan had, he called me Ani Sultan, if Ani Sultan had given me a bigger stone, I would have done my whole hand for oh, him. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Like, he knew that I'd had that right. thought. Right. And uh, and then, so then I thought about it for a few more days, and I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I just give him that stone? <laughs> and funny, I said, Rinpoche, I feel so bad about that. I, You know, it was such a mistake. And and he said, oh, but it's small, so you can carry it around and you can show <laughs> yeah, it. Right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, my son, my son, you could say, was his mind turned to the Dharma because of that stone. Oh, really? Yeah, because he was he was studying science and he was on a Ph.D. trajectory in neuroscience, not neuroscience, micro microbiology. Hmm. And um, and I showed it to him. And he knew scientifically what would have to happen to do that, and it just it just turned his mind. Mm. And so I think that's the value of mm. miracles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we were with Maharaji every day, you know, it was about in India. It's called knower of all hearts and knowing stuff that we didn't even know, and then it happened the next day or stuff like that. We basically shattered our mind. We no longer could depend on that. We lost yeah. dependence on that. That was probably one of the biggest things that he would do for us day to day. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm thinking about over the last, I'd say, couple, several years, I have become so enamored by Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. I I, I mm. just feeling. I never met him, and I'm like, geez, I could have, and you know, whatever, for whatever reason, didn't happen. And and I know you've spent time with him. I just, I this is personal. Just give me some connectivity to to that being. And I'll, I'll tell mm. you, most recently, this is maybe a little interesting. I did a podcast around it. We had this whole actually, Krishnadas and I. We had a dialogue around the fact that for books in the West, non-duality was popular. Bhakti, not so much. De books on devotion, forget about it, right? <laughs> and he was, Krishnadas, you know, he got all incensed about, Jesus, can you imagine that reality? And, um, and then he sent me an article, on, uh, and I'm, I think it's Zongsar Rinpoche who wrote it. I think that's his name. Zongsar Kensei. Zongsar, yeah. And uh, he, it's actually part of a series. It's going to become a book, I believe. And it's To Cry or Not to Cry, something like that. And he just talked about how in his upbringing in Tibet that crying just was not acceptable on any level. I mean, such harsh conditions. His mother, his grandmother, no cry. And then he, um, he was the tulku of a teacher of uh, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he was to meet him uh, and 
Dilgokensi Kensi had not met him before, and, and he described this meeting that they got in a car together and drove to a monastery for some ceremony, and <laughs> the whole way, which was hours, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche weeped, and it blew Zongtsa Kensi Rinpoche's mind. Mm. And, uh, and in the end, um, actually this came from a comment about this w- incredible article, um, that uh, somebody, a Westerner made that went to see him and she ended up crying because she was late or didn't think she'd make it and if she was there, she couldn't stop crying. She said to him, "What? why am I crying like this? Why? Mm-hmm. What is going on? And he said, <laughs> it's just a reflection of very, very deep devotion. Mm-hmm. And so Krishna was sending me this to go, you see, People think that yeah, non-duality is about you know complete not feeling, not feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's bullshit and so on. But anyhow, you you actually spent time with him. I'd love to just give me mm-hmm. a little bit of something from being with Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. Yeah, yeah. Before before I do that, I just want to respond to that about tears. Yeah. Um. When I met Karmapa, um, not at first, but when I went back after I'd been ordained for a year by him and went and met him again in room tech, I could not stop crying. Mm. I mean, it was going on for days, and he kept giving me things like gifts, and, you know, and uh, <laughs> I really, I'm not like a major crier, you know. Uh, <laughs> And I couldn't stop, and and I never really knew what to make of it. And and then I was in a teaching once with uh, Chukinima Rinpoche, mm. and uh, and somebody started to cry, you know, in, in response to just being with him. And um, he said, you know, normally our normal tears are like urine, but these tears, when you cry from devotion. It's Amrita. Mm. It's nectar. Mm. It's really different kind of tears. Mm. So, um, and you know, devotion is very important in the Tibetan tradition. Guru yoga is like considered to be the shortest path to Mm. enlightenment. And certainly Tibetan Buddhism is extremely complex. I don't think there's any tradition in the world as complex and rich in that sense. And yet you can just bypass all that with guru yoga. Mm. So uh, Namke Norba Rinpoche now pretty much whatever you ask him, he says, just do, just do guru yoga. Just do guru yeah. yoga. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So Kenzie Rinpoche, yeah. I met him I met him in Tashijong, which is in the Kangara Valley uh, near Dharamsala. And he was there to give three months of empowerments called the Damnakzo empowerments. Uh, it was right when I was trying to decide if I was going to be a nun or not. I'd been back in the States. I'd seen you there and uh, and everybody. i uh, been with Trungpa Rinpoche and, and, and really wasn't seeing how I could be a nun in the West. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I went there sort of with that question and and then received three months every single day of empowerments all day. Not one empowerment, but, you know, like 
I don't know how many per day there were. And um, it was actually the first time I heard the word Machiklaptran because there was there was a week of her empowerments. But in any case, uh, the thing that struck me about him, first of all, he's very tall, yeah. as you probably know. And um, I was sitting way in the back because nuns sit behind the monks, even like a monk that's been ordained for like three days and very, you know, erudite nun, which I was not. But even if I had been, I would be behind. So I was way in the back and the lay people were behind me, you know, talking and having tea. And so it was really hard to concentrate. But anyway, so every day he would come by and he would personally bless every single person with the empowerment substances. And um, what I noticed about him was his smell, how hmm. he smelled. He had the most amazing smell. And, you know, Tibetans don't wash a lot. They, <laughs> the, you know, it's really cold in Tibet. And they didn't have running water. So in general, they, they don't smell very good. You know, they smell like they, had, like they don't wash very much. But anyway, so it was like, you know, I think there's there's a word called the odor of sanctity. Mm. Um, and it was like a it was like a perfume with no name. Like you couldn't say, oh, it smells like roses or it smells like cedar or it smells like, you know, jasmine. It wasn't like that. But it, as soon as you smell the smell, there was this peace that would come over me mm. and beyond peace just to almost like put you into samadhi and of course you bless you know putting something on your head so you have that as well but and then he would go and 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 I could smell it behind him and I'm sure I've smelled this from other llamas um it it it, it kind of um he gets in their clothes like if llamas stay and you know sleep here, then I smell it, and um, it's it's something that you wouldn't know if you hadn't met him. You know, of course, you can see photographs and so on, but but this is something really unique about him that I was surprised and really struck by. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. I mean, we we had in in. In reality, uh, a very similar experience with Maharaji, who, because he wore that blanket, and you'd <laughs> you'd bow down, and your head would be in that blanket. It would smell like a baby's blanket. I mean, his the whole that was so unique. Yeah. Uh, so that was his smell. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. Cool. Well, and you know that was just a word that you'd use. You know, like. It probably, you know, how babies just smell so pure. Yeah. Right. And it's not that they're perfumed. It's another kind of, um, it's just a, a way to say it, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and that's why the clothes, and, you know, I know that you have some little pieces of those blankets. And yeah. some people do. And so the clothes of the, of the llama or of the, uh, the siddha, like, Maharaji, that's valuable for the blessing power because it's imbued mm. with that energy. Yeah, yeah. That's why Ramdas gives them out at these uh, ceremonies in uh, in Maui every year. That's a big part of uh, 
sort of the closing, well, not closing ceremony, but on the last day, yeah. Oh, man, just, yeah, thinking about about him. And mm-hmm. he's so uncompromising, too. Just, you know, th- there's that uh, there's that one book, a hundred uh, pieces of advice, I forget the, mm-hmm. the llama it came from, that he uh, commented on, and... Uh, you think when you die, people are going to be uh, sitting around thinking about you for more than a week or two? Uh, you know, <laughs> take responsibility, get with yeah. the program, you know, in so many words. You know, uh, the other thing, I, just another story about Kenzie Rinpoche, it's, it's not my experience, but Tukusanak Rinpoche, who's, who's one of my core teachers and a lama that I rely on now, um, he was with him for 14 years straight. Mm day and night. He was his attendant and, um, and you know, a, a lama with him and, and Vajra master and Seichen and so on. And he he told the story about how Kansu Rinpoche would teach anyone anything. any Anything uh, that they asked for, he would teach it. And it didn't matter if they were like some old lady, you know, from Tibet or some important lama or some rich patron, he would always see everybody and he would try to teach them. So he was constantly teaching. And uh, so when he got old, uh, Rabja Rinpoche and Tukusanak Rinpoche were trying to protect him so he wouldn't die, you know, so he wouldn't get sick. And... Um, he started seeing people at something like eight in the morning and then just see them all day and, and be giving lungs, you know, the oral transmission or empowerments or teaching nonstop. And so he, um, they, they put up a sign outside the door saying no, no people can visit before 11 or something like that. Just trying to give him a little rest time. And um, so this went on for like a day and two days. And then and then he and then Kensu Rinpoche said, why isn't anybody coming anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and so he, they said, well, you know, we put up the sign. He said, take it down immediately. And, you know, this is my Bodhisattva vow. I have to give whatever is requested. And I'm here. I'm here for the people. I'm here for anyone. And so he would he, he would just teach constantly and he knew so much that anyone could ask him anything about any different lineage too, because he's Rime, you know, the the um, collection of all the different lineages. So he knew everything and and we give it. <laughs> True Bodhisattva. Yep. I mean, that's what they say about uh, Siddha. There is no reason that they're here on earth whatsoever except for everybody, mm-hmm. for all people. Wow. That was sort of a divergement, but not really. He is uh, just like Maharaji. Uh, Ramdas has always called this. This is what human potential really is. Mm. And mm. being with these beings just shows that. 
Mm-hmm. So we're kind of at the end of, of the program. Um, but um, since we started this whole thing out about the chaos, fear, polarization <laughs> of what's <laughs> gone on, how about, do you mind doing just a, you know, a short few minute uh, uh, meditation exercise that can help us get uh, back in balance so that we aren't mm. prone to the vicissitudes of what's, what's coming at us day to day, as you say, every cabinet <laughs> selection. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, so let's try doing uh, a little practice with the Vajra family with anger. Mm, good. And, um, and just something really simple. I know that not everyone's feeling anger, but I think a, a lot of us have touched on that emotion. Guaranteed. Um, so I'd like to do this and connect to one of the seed syllables connected to the Vajra family and to the color. And so we could start just maybe close your eyes and come into a, an awareness of your body where you're sitting and just come into presence and then become aware of anger and maybe it's something to do with the election maybe it's another incident that's happened recently anytime when you've just felt that anger coming up and begin to notice what that feels like in your body you might feel a tightening you might feel a a heating And now really intensify that feeling of anger. Make it as strong as you can. Really rage. Intense anger. And now we'll sound the seed syllable ha, which is the seed syllable of the Vajra family, and the, of the Dakinis of the Vajra family, the feminine wisdom beings. Sound ha, and at the same time, visualize or imagine the color blue. And allow the sound and the blue to penetrate the energy of the anger. And just notice what happens through the sound and the color. So again, intensify.
Sound it again, sound it all together. The blue, the blue light going through your body at the same time. That's a that's a way to work with anger. It's just mm. with the color and the sound. Mm. Yeah, that uh, I've never done that before. Working with a mantra and visualizing a color that was mm-hmm. very effective. I guess blue is 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 highly effective uh, for it's a it's sound and light, mm. and uh, this is part of the mandala teachings of the mandala. Mm. Well, when's that book coming out, Lama? <laughs> Next year, sometime. Two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Two thousand eighteen, the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone's going to hear about it. That's part of the. Be Here Now podcast network and everyone at Mind Rolling. And uh, I want you also, I know you mentioned it before, to talk just a little bit about some a very um, uh, unusual, in that it's not happened before, mm-hmm. a Chode conference, uh, which uh, mm-hmm. Feeding the Demons. Feeding the Demons yeah. conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. so Feeding Your Demons is derived from a, a, an ancient practice called Ch, you actually don't say this. It's more like chu, but it ch, 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 yeah. Anyway, ch means to sever, and it's to sever attachment, and it's the only lineage uh, in Tibet that comes from a woman, and so this is one of the eight great chariots in terms of the eight great lineages of Tibet, but it's not so well known, and so this year, or we're almost in this year. In 2017, July 12th to 15th at Tara Mandala in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, is going to be a, the first conference on Chut Shijie, which is another lineage connected to it, uh, at Tara Mandala. And we're bringing people from Mongolia, mm. an amazing woman singer, wow. uh, 
and also uh, from Bhutan and Tibet, uh, and scholars from all different countries who are all experts in this, but they've never all met together. Mm. You know, Tibetan Buddhism is is very lineage-oriented, so everyone has their lineage. So this is actually bringing together the... um, all those lineages for uh, talks and panels and also teaching. And that will be followed by a week of uh, retreats where different uh, trip practices are being taught. So uh, I'm really excited about this and I wanted to talk about it to to all of you. I hope you can come. I, it's really quite extraordinary and even if you don't know a lot about it's a great place to meet people and to learn about it. Mm. So uh, you can look on uh, taramandala.org, taramandala.org, uh, and, and find information about it and all of our other programs too. So I, I'm just, um, I really want to sort of let people know about this because it's such an extraordinary event. And, uh, so yeah and and that'll all be also on on the on be here now network.com and mind rolling go to the page uh, you'll be able to link to um book this Chud conference that's happening and by the way and i mentioned that i think i mentioned this off uh off the air uh i think i said to you lama that uh in terms of feeding the demons, which is a scary prospect for <laughs> some people. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Lama had a great uh, um, definition of this. Demons are energy that is blocked in various ways. We can all relate to that, blocked energy, <laughs> and we all have it. Mm-hmm. So working with the power of the mind through imagination, we liberate that blocked energy and that in, in using visualization and Im- imagination, somewhat like the uh, little meditation practice that Lama mm-hmm. just took us through. And that will give you a central idea of uh, certainly a very basic idea um, in layman's terms, uh, terms of what will uh, take place. So give me the date again. It's give us the date again. July 12th to 15th. Okay, great. The summer and then the retreat week goes until the 24th and registration for that's open now okay so we encourage everybody and you can get the book feeding the demons and we'll have a link on the page for that as well uh and uh and of course go to taramandala.org and get to be able to connect with all of the teachings of lama tsultramalioni and uh and one big thing we're not even mentioning, for God's sake, I'll do it in a, uh, you know, I'll do an intro to this podcast and mention it, but I'm going to mention it here again. Lama is going to be with us May 3rd through 8th in Maui with Ramdas and Krishna Das. And here's mm-hmm. something you don't, maybe you don't know. Sharon Salzberg is going to join us as well. How about nice. that? So it's going to be quite a fantastic retreat. Yeah. That registration will be open uh, the first week in, uh, uh, of the turn of the year in January. Um, so you'll take a look at all of that. And thank you so much, mm. as usual. Spend time with you. It's a joy, <laughs> Lama. Thank you. 
I'm really looking forward to May and being together. I hope as many of you as, uh, as can who are listening will be there. It's I'm just looking forward to being with Ram Das uh, and Krishna Das, who are all you know old deep friends and just precious. It's so precious to have time with Ram Das. Mm. So yes, very much. Yeah. Well, we look forward. This is uh, mind rolling, and uh, happy to have you all aboard. And we'll see you next week on the Be Here Now Network.